0: Hello and welcome to Upstream with Jim and John, father and son conversations about discipleship and culture in the Pacific Northwest.
1: I'm John. And I'm Jim. And today we're going to have the sex talk, John. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we're we're going to talk about sex and sexuality and shame and pornography and all things sex. Like we're just gonna we're gonna go unplug. We're gonna keep it PG. What do you say PG twelve? I yeah. think we'll do that. That's fair. And um, PG twenty twenty five. That's old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll keep it uh, pure enough for you, John. Since you're uh, yeah, Yeah, sensitive ears. Uh, anyway, we have a we have a special guest. We're going to introduce to you in just a few moments. Uh, who's going to really? He's he's. He's our local, wonderful sex expert. Yeah, he's, he's going to quarterback this. And he's going to really time. help us out. So we're actually going to just ask a lot of questions and let him do all the talking. Yeah, so, I think this
0: will be your first sex talk, I think.
1: Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you know, I, I could tell the story of my dad's sex talk when I was a kid. Um, but we'll save that for story time. Next time it's my turn. So we start off with Joker story time. And, John, it's your week. Um, you got a story? I do. I'm a little bummed because I couldn't think of a... Uh, an
0: applicable one. I don't have a whole lot of sex stories that I'm, that I'm, about, to, <laughs> I'm about to share on the air. So uh, this one is just about uh, when I was in uh, middle school. They had a class trip in 6th, 7th, and 8th grades. And, uh, and this is more about my uh, not willingness to do fun things. They, the 6th grade trip was to, I actually don't remember, it was to some kind of camp and some, some up in the mountains. And I really didn't want to go, so they handed out these permission slips. And uh, I did not bring mine home because i didn't want to go <laughs> and then the deadline came and went and they said where's your permission slip and i said i i didn't get it in time and they said oh well shoot that's it and then they gave me that they're like do you, we can give you more time i said no it's and so yeah. you're so to not go on the field trip you would have to just stay in a class all day right and no i got i got uh i think i got homework but i, I was but home. you could stay
1: home yeah well who would want to go on the trip
0: then if, well exactly Then the, uh, I went to the other two and the Yosemite trip. I've talked about. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was amazing. That one was crazy. By that point, I was, you know, 14. You're, you're fine going on a a week long trip with your friends out to Yosemite. Yeah. You know, I wasn't about to say no to that. So I had a great time on that one. Uh, your sister went to sea camp. I went to sea camp too. Yeah. San Diego,
1: put on wetsuits and, and swim with the seals, the dolphins or something.
0: Yeah. First time being to, going to San Diego. And you had always said that San Diego was like, the perfect temperature, it's, like like it's awesome, and uh, and I normally love more cold, but San Diego was when I was there, unbelievable. It's like you walk outside, and it's like when you're in the perfect spot in the in the ocean, where it's like perfectly warm, perfectly cold, because you know you get those hot spots in the mm-hmm. water. Yeah, this is like the it was, the air was the perfect spot. San Diego was nuts. I can't picture you climbing into a wetsuit though. They real I I did, and it was too- <laughs> <laughs> they had this a mini story. They had this stuff. They called it squid guts. And that was and to help you slide in and out of the it's wetsuit. It's just soapy right? water. Yeah, yeah, they just squirt, it, squirt you with it to get, help you get in the wetsuit. But man, they worked every inch of that wetsuit. It was it was close. It was a close call for yeah. sure. Yeah, that's hilarious. But uh, yeah. All so right.
1: Well, let's uh, let's get a, you know kind of greasing you down with dish soap <laughs> and sliding you into a wetsuit is a great segue for a sex yeah. talk. So uh, let's dive in. I want to introduce our guest. Um, Rodney Wright is a former pastor. I would I would say he's still a pastor. Uh, Rodney and I have known each other for quite a few years, probably about ten years, and uh, we've had Rodney and his wife Tracy come and do marriage retreat for us at our church. Uh, just a great, great dude. And now Rodney is working full time for a ministry called Pure Desire. He and Tracy uh, travel, speak, do training, lead small groups. And they have authored a book together called How to Talk with Your Kids About Sex. We just had Rodney speak at Evergreen several weeks ago, did a phenomenal job. And so we just wanted to invite Rodney on the show and let him straighten us out, let him give us sexual healing. (laughs) And so, uh, Rodney, welcome. Thanks for being a part of this with us.
2: Uh, It's great to be here with you guys. Yeah, great introduction, the uh, uh, (laughs) wetsuit and the uh, soapy water, so we're sliding right into this. I like it. Now, what would you you add
1: to the uh, introduction that I might have left out? Tell us about how many kids you got, uh, anything else
2: you want to add? Tracy and I have been married 31 years. Uh, We have three adult kids. Uh, Our oldest is uh, our daughter, Whitney. She's married. Uh, Her and her husband, Daniel, live in the Portland area. And our two sons are down south. One's in uh, San Diego and one is in Arizona, uh, Phoenix. And so, uh, yeah, we're empty nest. And we've kind of taken a new season of of life, leaving the local church uh, to help a lot of local churches all around the world, really, and around the country. Um, Just trying to educate and resource churches in the area of healthy sexuality.
1: Now uh, I gotta say, Rodney, you're you're a great gift to the kingdom and to churches and pastors. But let me ask you, what made you go into sex full time?
2: Well, it just <laughs> pays better. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, actually, it's uh, you know for me, it's just a part of my journey and kind of the evolution of uh, where I felt the Spirit leading me. You know, part of my story is um, not knowing how to navigate sexuality as a young boy. Uh, the influence of pornography on my life, and really um, coming to a place where my religion just wasn't transforming me in this arena. And this is part of my passion today is uh, helping uh, religion and sexuality click forward to have healthier conversations and learning how to integrate our faith uh, by first of all seeing our sexuality as good and healthy. In my 20s, I sought help with a sexual trauma assessment treatment therapist. And that began to move me down a road of recognizing this binge purge pattern, which we call addicted behavior. Sure. And really realizing that uh, pornography wasn't just a moral issue. It was a brain issue. It affected the brain like a drug. And so really getting some good clinical input, understanding how to retrain the brain. Yeah. And how to move toward transformation um, was really life-changing when, you know, my, what my religion was giving me wasn't leading me down that road.
1: Now, let me ask you, you said a sex trauma therapist. Had you had a traumatic experience in your life and that was a, par- a part of your story or um, what? what's the trauma part of that?
2: Yeah, so, well, the trauma part was um, uh, back in those days, uh, 20, almost 25 years ago, Uh, I wasn't aware of any what we called certified sexual addiction therapist. Yeah. yeah. So a CSAT is what they're called now. Um, But this was an individual who worked with uh, uh, trauma and specializing in abuse and sexual abuse. Um, I would just say this, that I think all of us have trauma in our lives, uh, whether it's sexual or physical or mental or emotional experiences that are traumatizing uh for me, I didn't have any sexual trauma in my life, mm-hmm. but I had some traumatic experiences that I didn't know how to grieve or process.
1: Sure. Mm-hmm. And
2: they affected how I uh, saw my my sexuality and uh learned then how to manage that in that regard.
0: Awesome. And uh and you I mean, you know, you've been in this uh you know, we said you've been in professional the professional sex world in a whole in a more wholesome way. But uh uh what percentage would you say if people have Um, kind of these sexuality, the sexual health issues uh, in in this regard, kind of uh, uh, unhealthy behavior, addictive behavior?
2: Yeah. Or maybe we would just say unwanted sexual behavior. I I think that um, there's a lot of confusion in the world of human sexuality in our culture today, uh, worldwide. I think it is actually a pandemic uh, in many ways just as severe as COVID, if not more, Mm -hmm. and I don't know really any home that isn't touched at some level. Uh, Dad, granddad, son, grandson. uh, The exposure to pornography is uh, tremendous in our world today. And really, it's becoming the sex educator for our children. Mm. And so this is a piece that uh, uh, my wife and I really felt it's our niche. And so we joined Pure Desire to really begin to speak on a healthy front end of helping parents You know, get healthy themselves and then give their kids a healthy framework, just some healthy scaffolding where they can begin to see that not all sexuality is evil or lust or bad, but start with a good, healthy framework. So when they see the dysfunction, they can get help.
1: You know, I I listened to a gal and now uh, several gals, including uh, two, at least two of my adult daughters, talk about the abstinence purity movement, purity rings and things like that. And how much damage they felt like confusion and damage they went through because of this uh, this hyper focus on abstinence targeting the girl as kind of the biggest problem and then expecting her on her wedding night to be able to flip a switch and be sexually enthusiastic. Um, what's what's why is the church so bad at this?
2: Well. I, I write about that whole uh, piece of the purity ring in chapter 10 in our book, you know, and uh, we've, I I think the heart behind it was good. I think the heart was trying to say, we want kids to make good, healthy decisions. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think the way they went about it uh, was a little bit more of um, here's the standard, anything below it, uh, it's just more shame motivation than education based about we're sexual beings from birth. Yeah. Um, you know a, a baby girl can vaginally lubricate in the first 24 hours of birth and a little boy can have an erection in the first 5 minutes we're just sexual beings from birth it's not evil or lustful or per- we don't we didn't birth a pervert it's just yeah, that's right. how God made our bodies <laughs> and so physiologically if we can just be okay that we have nerve endings in the penis and in the vagina and, and that those sensations feel good and they, they, they take us to orgasm and we can just start talking through language yeah. age appropriate. And that framework can be a healthier way to say your, your sexuality is a wonderful gift. Yeah. Now you want to be a steward of it and manage it in healthy ways.
1: Yeah. And thinking about that, just like you would steward any other part of yourself, it's right. uh, it's something that's a positive part. God gave it to you. Yes. So therefore it's a good thing. Yes. And instead of treating it like this uh, Pandora's box, and if you dare open that box, it's all going to go crazy.
0: And, right,
2: right. Yeah. Like it's bad before marriage, and then after you say a few words, it just gets good. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's some mixed messaging. And, and many times, Jim, we see Christian couples, because there's so much silence about sexuality, mm-hmm. they move into marriage, and they have a lot of problems learning how to communicate Uh, resolved issues with their own sexuality together. And many times it can build sexual, what we call sexual anorexia, where they just kind of pull away. And yet, you know, on the outside, they look great because they're Christians, but they're not learning how to grow in that arena because they never learned how to talk about that.
1: Yeah. Boy, shame is a huge deal, and I'm sure we'll get to that. Let me ask you this. How can I tell if I have a sex problem?
2: Well... I, I would think that, you know, a couple, a couple of criteria or things that you can begin to think about is uh, this sexual behavior compulsive. Uh, is it something that you find a go-to maybe when you feel stress or tension mm-hmm. or you're trying to navigate something difficult? Many times uh, compulsive sexual behavior, we use that as a coping mechanism because we don't know how to process something. And we do that with other things in life too, you know, Jim and John, we do that with food or we do that with drinking or we yeah, do that with sure. work or, you know, we find those things to cope rather than learning how to process things in life. Yeah. So one of the ways would be, uh, do I use sex as a way to cope with difficult feelings uh-huh. or traumatic experiences or memories? Uh-huh. Um Is my behavior um, moving me closer to my family or moving me farther away from my spouse or my loved one or my faith?
1: Um,
2: Am I objectifying other people for my benefit Um, rather than having open, intimate, honest relationships, you know? Yeah.
1: You know, I, I, I watched a documentary on human trafficking. Yeah. And one of the things that they talked about was that Um, men who see prostitutes are not having sex with them. They're actually just masturbating. And it's amazing how uh, non-connected sex, even in a marriage, can be that, where you're just pouring out your lust on that spouse, but there's not a real human connection because you don't have the vulnerability to talk about it and to be open and healthy and even uh, eliminate shame. Um, I've known couples who've never, you know, they've been married 35 years, and they've never had sex with the lights on because they have this built-in shame kind of issue so it's it can be pretty complicated and so maybe your phrase unwanted sexual behavior that's really the trigger to understand do i have any of that do i have any behavior sexually that i don't want or do i have any emotional baggage that i don't want Uh, And the encouragement would be hey this is not something you need to um, be ashamed of or run from it's actually something that's quite common
2: yeah yeah, it is. And there's resources and help out there for people. And thank God for it. And thank God for organizations uh, uh, like Pure Desire or, or people within the therapeutic community who can really help and do some education and uh, training and, and some assistance to kind of help guide us and navigate us uh, in this area. And give us some, uh, like I said, some scaffolding or some framework to know how to move forward and become healthier in this arena.
0: Yeah. Uh, Ronnie, we talk a lot about, uh, kind of generational stuff on, on this show. Yeah. So, uh, one thing I think about is like, you know, biblically, there's lots of stories of communities that were obviously super perverted and, and gross. And then you hear about ancient Greece and stuff, but it really does feel like we're in kind of an unprecedented, uh, uninhibited sexual culture with, with pornography being as accessible as it is, um, and, and, and kind of that kind of thing. Is this really unprecedented, or is this kind of a eternal human problem?
2: Yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> How's that for a politically correct answer, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know what? Here's just a couple things. Um, organizations like Culture Reframed, and we talk about them in our book, John, they would say that they're fighting pornography today in our world, in our age, Mm-hmm. Because of how violent and demeaning and objectifying it is to women, sure. So, so they're coming from a non-religious background, and they're right. saying to the pornographers, "Hey, how come there's no control that our kids can just go online and see anything they want?" Right? Yeah. Uh, we don't let kids drink alcohol till they're legally what 21, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, they're saying from a non-religious perspective, mm-hmm. we're we're objectifying and damaging our kids. And they would say that pornography isn't a sex educator. It is a violent, and um, what was the term that they used? I'm going to try to get it here. Human discrimination or objectification. It doesn't teach sex. It teaches how to to be violent and objectify humans.
1: Well, and because there's so much money in it, and because it has an addictive power, they're targeting kids. Uh, I remember the last time I had a group of junior high boys, uh where i was just having a sex conversation with them and and making space for them to process yeah. anything they wanted to talk about um we kind of did some anonymous uh surveys had them answer some questions yeah and um the average age of exposure to pornography for the first time was like 10 right. and i remember when yeah. my son tim who who's a video game nut he he had a video game he loved called mega man it's a very old video game all the way back there he did a search on the Internet for Mega Man, and there were porn sites that used Mega Man as their uh, link to pornography to try to get these young kids exposed yeah, and right. addicted to the product.
2: And what, um, Yeah, and which is really sad. And, and, and what the researchers are showing is that the pornography kids are seeing today is trauma. It's literally trauma on the brains Hmm. and then their exposure to it, how it just on the neuroscience side of that, how it just really rewires the brain so that, um, I mean, I have kids in our community that are coming to doctors and physicians assistants and saying, you know, I'm I'm 18 and I can't have an erection and respond to my girlfriend in a normal relationship. Right? Yeah, yeah. And the doctor says, Well, do you, do you look at porn? And he says, I've looked at porn since I was a kid, almost every day. Yeah. So, literally, because of how the brain is so stimulated to the synthetic, that they can't just respond physically to a normal erection or arousal or orgasm to another human interaction. Right. So this is how much it's damaging and kind of rewiring society to 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 not even learn how to be intimate with 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 our with our human counterpart. Yeah. In yeah. marriage, in a marriage relationship.
0: And it's interesting because it's so widespread and you have secular organizations that do recognize the problem, but uh to to publicly call it a a, a pandemic like like a, you I would say you appropriately called it uh is still not really um not really kosher yet. Like it's not, it's not really that wide ex- uh, uh, accepted that pornography might be a, a problem or uh, inherently wrong Dangerous thing. Right? Yeah. And what, what do you think the barriers are there?
2: Oh yeah. That's a great question, John. You, I can tell you come up with the good questions, Johnny. <laughs> Your dad got the looks and you got the brains. <laughs> yeah. this you
0: nailed it on the uh, Hey, that,
2: that's a great question. And here's, here's what I think about it. And here's, because I think in culture there's a lot of older individuals my age 50s 60s that are in leadership who who pornography has been a part of our history so there's mm. a lot of shame in, in a leadership perspective where right. people have maybe found like gosh that's a part of my story and so you know hey let men be men or right. you know those adages just you know hey you know just turn the other way and let's deal with some other problems in society sure um And I think even this is why the church has often been silent or uh, religion has unfortunately even turned to not just pornography, but to abuse. And and a lot of damage has been done, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, whatever. It's because we don't know, maybe even as tribal leaders of religion, how to own our story, not have any shame, and offer the younger generation a better road forward. Hey, there's a healthier path. And if we don't lower shame, I think that's going to be the big aspect that's going to keep um, us just keep pushing the pushing the problem down the road, hoping somebody else fix it. Right.
1: Well, let's get, let's get to some real help because I've had lots of guys uh, work super hard at pursuing freedom from their porn addiction. And so uh, let's get, let's get some tips here. Rodney, if, if a guy says to you, man, I'm struggling, I have had this habit since I was 11, I'm 50. Um uh it's not every day anymore but maybe it's you know two or three times a week I just can't see yeah. I, I don't like it I don't like how I feel about it I don't sure. like what it's done to my marriage uh but I can't seem to stop what what's your advice to to point them in a direction where they can really find help and freedom
2: Well first of all uh try to get out of denial as soon as you can uh and denial says, well, that was a problem last week, but God delivered me and now I'm free right? Yeah, yeah. So sometimes our religion because confession feels so good and we have accountability partners right. So we confess like I did. I mean in my teens and 20s, man, I'm a confession expert, you know <laughs> I, I confess to my brother, ultimately my father. I mean so I, I just would say that break the denial that hey, I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, and this is still a problem. And even though I'm a person of faith, my faith alone isn't going to just take this away. And Mm -hmm. I'm not talking down to religion. I'm just trying to help us elevate and see religion from a different perspective, much more holistically. Because what happens in the brain is pornography, like I said earlier, it's not just a moral issue, it's a brain issue. And so in our subconscious, we just run on um, Neurological tracks are ruts that have been created in our brain because those neurons that fire together, wire together. So with the flood of dopamine in the brain Mm -hmm. that pornography begins to, the brain begins to wire to those images because of all the stimulus that it creates within the brain. And so sometimes when we feel stress subconsciously we're just that those things begin to fire off because we've gone to them so often. That we have to, first of all, build self-awareness. And part of self-awareness is I have a compulsive problem with pornography or masturbation connected to pornography mm-hmm. or objectification, whatever it may be. Just that self-awareness is the first place to start.
1: Yeah, so maybe even just tracking your behaviors. So to start yes. understanding the rhythms to your behaviors and the exactly. patterns the patterns that yep. you're in. And what's going on on those times when you're most tempted?
2: That's correct. And this is where the psychological community, the clinical community, in my opinion, are offering us some great resources. Because yeah. they're tracking the neurological part of what's happening with, our, with our, our thinking and our rituals and our acting out and our trying to purge those. They, they are monitoring our cycle of behavior. So some 20-some years ago, I went through Patrick Carnes' book, Out of the Shadows. Mm. Uh, Patrick Carnes is one of the leading sexual addiction therapists. Um, his story is just uh, quite public, but went through abuse as a young boy in the Catholic Church
0: mm. and
2: mm. found some healing. And then he's really offering some great studies about the addictive cycle of the brain. And, and so if you can understand that this isn't just a moral issue, that you're, you're literally your brain got hijacked right and subconsciously you fall into that rut in the road and so you have to learn how to build consciousness and then how to retrain the brain yeah. now for those of us of faith this is where uh, this is in- encouraging because the word for that in scripture is repentance right metanoia Amen. in the greek changing how you think so I thought repentance used to be a prayer telling God how sorry I was, mm-hmm. hoping to tip the you know the repentometer enough sure. <laughs> so God would give me a little bit you know yeah, till yeah. I did it again yeah. you know. And so this is more about repentance. I, I believe that was just godly sorrow, and nothing wrong with that. I mm-hmm. was sorrowful, yeah. but repentance is saying, "Uh oh, here's my thinking error, and I'm now going to replace it with the truth. Yeah. I'm going to change my thinking."
1: Yeah, Romans 12, 2 transformed by the renewing of your mind. and that
2: Exactly. And it could be a thinking here, Jim, about yourself, that you're unworthy of love, that you're worthless, that you're a piece of crap. Yeah. You know, because sometimes our traumas in life make us think that about us, the lies we believe from painful experiences. Yeah. Sometimes it's our belief about others that you can objectify anybody and they're worthless instead of being someone that's loved and valued like, like your sister or your mother or, you know, an, a, a family member. Yeah. And sometimes even distorted views about God, that he's just trying to punish me for all my mistakes, yeah. rather than kind of heal me from my brokenness that's leading me to this behavior, you know? For sure. So, so, yeah, so seeing it's a mental problem, then secondly, your traumas can affect these things too. The painful experiences that we had, um, I had some traumatic experiences growing up where I didn't feel safe to talk to maybe, uh, well, in this case, it was my father. Uh, we got caught, you know, streaking in the 70s, you know, as five and six-year-olds or six and seven-year-olds from a, a dare from a neighbor. Yeah. And when we got caught, you know, my mom gets the call, hey, the pastor's kids are streaking out in front of a, a neighborhood, you know, at uh, noon, at 100 degrees in California. Yeah. So my mom calls us in. She's kind of in a frenzy. And uh, when my dad came home, instead of training and guiding his son's, because we, we weren't evil with demons. We were yeah. little kids with curiosity. Yeah. And so I remember when my dad spanked me pretty hard, bare, bare butt, and, and left my room, I thought to myself, he's not safe. Yeah. Whatever yeah. you do, don't ever let him catch you doing anything wrong, because yeah. this is what happens. Gotcha. That was not the heart of my dad. My dad just did what he knew to do. That's what they did back in those days, right? Sure, it sure. was evil, and spare the rod, spoil the child. And, and that became one of those first traumatic experiences for me. So when I got into masturbation and then pornography, I didn't have the safety or felt like my dad had my best interest. Mm-hmm. He did. He just didn't have the resources to know how to have those conversations. So trauma can look different for all of us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the things we do in group work is go through your top 10 painful experiences in life and talk about how they affected you. And then the lies you believe because of them, right? So what's the trauma and what's the lie the trauma gave you? And that's where our thinking errors come in. And this is where compulsive behavior is just a way of coping with some of that painful experience. So the brain science is a piece. Understanding our traumas is a piece. But then also learning how to get those tools to retrain your brain.
1: So, yeah. So a guy, a guy's... a guy probably is not going to be able to go in his garage and fix himself. He this sounds like there's some conversations that need to be had with somebody who you can trust, yeah. who can who can help you see something you're not seeing and who right. can who can support you be a safe person where you can be this transparent with. Right. Uh, that that's probably a big part of that.
2: Well, this is why we I'm such an advocate for Pure Desire Group, Seven Pillars for Men, uh Unraveled for Women who struggle with love, sex, and relationship addiction mm-hmm. so you know you think it's hard for a man to talk about compulsive masturbation and pornography think about how hard it is for a woman who struggles in our churches to talk about that right it's yeah, yeah. typically that's seen as a man's problem but in today's world again because of lack of education we don't know how to process and talk about those things mm-hmm. and um so anyway now you guys got me all fired up on that conversation no, you... i need to take a <laughs> breath here you guys you guys jump in here <laughs> You're great. Uh, so
0: personally, I, I have kind of, you could call it like a fatalistic tendency in this arena where I think, you know, with a kid, uh, what are you gonna, with how accessible this technology is and how widespread the problem is, um, and with just how fallen and terrible people can be, it can feel inevitable for, a, for a child to yeah. eventually find themselves in these behaviors. So, which, which is probably the pessimistic view from a parent standpoint or a parenting standpoint. Uh, is it, from, from a parenting standpoint, what can you do to at least lessen the odds? Because obviously you can't control um, you know, everything, but, but what can you do for a kid to uh, at least set him off right on these kinds well, of things? Well,
2: the best thing you can do for your child is get healthy as a parent. Mm. And what I mean get healthy is if you have any unwanted sexual behavior or negative sexual history that you can't face or nobody knows about and you're mm. living with that secret, we're as sick as our secrets, yeah. and whether we know it or not, we can project shame because if we feel shame for ourselves, it's you know what we model is going to be more important than what we say. Yeah.
0: So sure. any
2: unwanted sexual history that that you haven't dealt with, uh, abuse, uh, abortion, uh, affairs, uh, any just any any type of things that you feel like, man, if anybody ever knew that about me, they wouldn't love me. Right. And I think that's where the that's part of that lie that traps us. And I'm not saying you you need to take the open mic on Wednesday nights and share with the congregation, <laughs> right? Or get on Jim's podcast and right, share your worst right, sexual sin. Yeah. But what I am saying is you got to get around that safe group of people that can help you process that and then give you some framework to know how to not live in shame and then how to offer our story to the next generation age appropriate that's going to be helpful for them, right? So if the parent gets healthy, Um, And and we can talk about groups that are there that that can help. The second thing is, uh, John, is have ongoing conversations as normal as you can as soon as they learn language. This is your nose. This is your eyebrows, right? This is your elbow. And if you're a little boy, this is your penis and your uh, your scrotum and your testicles. And little girls have vaginas. and, And you're teaching them about the body in a normal, unsexualized way. Uh-huh, sure. Not one talk for a hundred minutes when they're twelve, but a hundred one-minute <laughs> talks, right? Mm-hmm. All through life, short. Whenever they ask, you're ready to answer them. You know. Yeah. Um, I remember one time, John, my son, said to me at five, putting him to bed one night, "Daddy, how come my penis gets hard?" You know. <laughs> and it wasn't like I went up to put him to bed and said to Tracy, my wife, "I hope he asked me the penis question tonight. I'm going to be real ready for it." Right. You know. He just said it as a little boy. And I, and I responded to him this way. That's how God made you. So his question about his body and how it functions was connected to God. Mm-hmm. This isn't evil. That's how God made your body. Yeah. That happens to your dad, too, and every other man. And when you wake up in the morning, it means you have to go pee, right? That was the first thing that came <laughs> to my mind. when I And I just blurted <laughs> those things out. He said, okay, Dad. And then he started talking about Buzz Lightyear and what we're going to watch tomorrow, and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. age-appropriate. And so when they see pornography, uh, I'm an advocate for talking to your kids about seeing things on, on, the, on um, technology, preparing them when you see this. If you see this, I want you to know you can come to me and talk about it. It kind of objectifies people. Um, touching your body isn't bad. We just don't touch our body in public. Nudity isn't bad. We, we're nude in the shower. Uh, I recommend taking off your clothes when you go to the bathroom. Uh, your body isn't bad. Yeah. So helping them understand that. The other piece, John, that you, t- that you talk about is the whole subject of masturbation. And mm-hmm. in our book, we, o- we write almost a whole chapter about that. I think what makes masturbation really difficult for our kids is when it gets connected to pornography. Mm-hmm. And the pornography has this much more effect on the brain. Sure. So in the book, we, we really write about that issue. I think parents need, again, framework and scaffolding to talk about that. Yeah. As a healthy parent, as your kids are getting older, mom and dad, how did you navigate masturbation? Was it helpful for you learning about your body? Or was it something that was difficult for you? Um, language, like uh, moving from immaturity to maturity. I think we're so used to black and white in religion. We just like everything like... Eating meat offered to idols is sin. Just give me a black <laughs> statement so I could just right, say, not right. eating meat offered to idols, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, a vision, you know, of a, a Peter's vision on Cornelius' roof, right? So within Christendom, within the Christian faith, there's a lot of different streams of thoughts about this subject matter, Um It's not always sin in every situation, some would say. Some, it's a normal part of understanding how your body works. Yeah. And um, that it could be just an exploratory behavior, uh, masturbation that leads to orgasm or not. Um, But it could be just a part of understanding how your body works. And I know for some, they would say, yeah, I experimented with it a couple times in my adolescent development, but it wasn't a hang up for me. Yeah, And for some kids, there could be more susceptible to being ensnared by this mm-hmm. because of the effect it has on their brain, especially if they maybe have depression or mm-hmm. have attention focus issues. So just understanding how your kids wired, we were meant to have good dopamine hits in the brain. Yeah. So for finding sure. healthy things in life that give us dopamine, you know, um, I was fishing with one of my friends that was in one of my groups this summer. I caught a, uh, a really nice, well, how big was it? Uh, it, was, it was pretty big. I uh, <laughs> threw trout on a fly rod, and I just started screaming in the St. Joe River, dopamine, dopamine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my brain was on fire, right?
1: Yeah, that's So
2: we were made to have good dopamine release, and so this is where, you know, if you can help your kids just starting those healthy conversations. Um hey, when it's connected to pornography, you're objectifying people. And this is where we see masturbation really moving to an unhealthy behavior.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I
2: like that language, healthy versus unhealthy, um, and manage versus mismanage. Yeah. So that you're kind of helping them learning how to be a good steward, because they're going to have to manage their sexuality for the rest of their life.
1: Yeah.
0: So yeah. It's not
2: just something you do before marriage.
1: Right. And all these guys, these young guys think, well, when I get married, it'll solve all my sexual problems. And it doesn't do a thing for us. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. (laughs)
1: Man, I want to, if you're listening and you want some resources, get a pen, because in a moment, I'm going to have Rodney give a list of resources you might want to check out, which would include the Pure Desire groups you can be on, uh, the book that Rodney and his wife, Tracy, have written. Um, also any other resource rodney you want to give so in a moment i want you to make a give a little list and and people can write those down but i've, I've been wanting to ask this does your wife ever get tired of talking about sex with you
2: uh, yeah you know <laughs> it's it's interesting uh trace and i have we have a good sense of humor i think and uh uh, Tracy teases me. She says, uh, "When Rodney, when you die, we talk a lot about death because we've done a lot of grief work, and that's a yeah. that's a whole other subject we should come back and talk about as well.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> because you know, in the world of faith healing, nobody thinks they're going to die, right. and so you know, it's always like a contradiction. You know, so I, I was always known as the death pastor when I came to see. It, it was like you know, I'm <laughs> oh, I'm dream dying, reaper. right, Grim Reaper. But Tracy says, when I die, John and Jim, she wants to put on my epitaph." Rodney Wright was an expert on masturbation. <laughs> <laughs> so she teases me about that. She said, that's what I'm going to say. And, yeah. and the reason we joke about that is just because I'm so passionate to help the next generation.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Because religion didn't give us the framework to know how to, to hand them something healthier so they could begin to listen to their own conscious and their own uh, understanding and yeah. and they could get guided through this in a way where it doesn't become destructive and and hurtful to them. Yeah,
1: because man, and they learn can, how to just... be
2: healthy, intimate, sexually connected adults, yeah. whether single or married. They're managing this area in their life in honorable ways.
1: Yeah, you know, I have I probably uh, probably seven to ten times in my life i've had a group of high school students in a room i've given them index cards and golf pencils and i've said write down any question you want and i'll just sit here and answer questions for the next hour and there, there are three questions that have come up every single time yeah. how far how far can i go on a date before it's sin right is, is masturbation sin And then how do I know the will of God for my life? Those three questions happened every single time. Right. And so we really need, uh, we need to be able to talk to our kids about it, which is a great segue to your book. So Rodney, you and Tracy wrote a book called How to Talk with Your Kids About Sex. Tell us uh, how to get the book and then give us a rundown of some resources you might recommend for people who say, I just want to learn more uh, to, to pursue health on my own. Um, or resources I might pass on to you know my family members or friends.
2: Yeah, kudos, kudos. So you get the you get the book by going to puredesire.org, puredesire.org under the resource page. And okay. pure desire is a ministry started by Dr. Ted and Diane Roberts over 30 years ago. And there's over 30 resources there. Um, uh, that's a great resource. Another one that we're doing for churches is just called Sexual Integrity 101 it's a video curriculum in fact um, my friend Van Clemens down in uh, Eugene Oregon uh, Willamette, he just used it and said man this is phenomenal oh, but awesome. it's a great resource where it just educates churches about sex and of a pornography and how it affects the brain and there's some um, educators on there that really you know speak from a clinical perspective and, and men and women that's own their story and, and not living in shame and uh, I think that's really uh, good as well but also for parents, and, and we have resources in our book that we that we list. Um, learning about sex series, it's by Concordia Publishing. Uh, learning about the book uh, sex series; these are age appropriate books to read with your kids. Yeah. So this is this is another great awesome. tool to have as it's book time and it's time to read books when they're young. It's a great way to start the conversations about our bodies and how God made us in. And affirming our sexuality, maleness and femaleness, and it's good. Um, so um, there's what other resources you? that are listed there in our book. The Pinner's P-E-N-N-E-R, are great Christian psychologist, um, that right. deal with this for married couples.
1: And what was the book you mentioned earlier that you had read years ago? I forgot what it was. It was a uh, yeah.
2: Oh yeah, uh, Patrick Carnes, Out of the Shadows. Oh, there you go. There you go. Patrick Carnes, yeah. Out of the Shadows. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, Dr. Ted Roberts' book called Pure Desire is a great book. Uh, watching the Conquer series that churches have done for men uh, as well. Um, and, and if you find yourself, and you're a dad of any age, or, or, a, or a mom, single, or married, or an adult, um, th- th- there's online groups. You can join an online group. I'm starting a, my second pastor's group, mm-hmm. so I'm actually a- inviting pastors Barna did a study a few years back, 50% of clergy in Western Christianity, evangelical struggle with some kind of unwanted sexual behavior. Yeah. Uh, the statistics are a little bit bigger for men in congregations. The growing statistic is really women in addiction, yeah. sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. So it's just a real problem. And this is why churches need to be educators about how, how to have holistic spirituality and how to integrate our faith in the area of sexuality but we're not going to be able to do that if we're just nervous about saying sexual terms because we never ever hear them. We think they're naughty or dirty, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, so that's where we got to help change culture.
1: That's huge. All right, Rodney, tell us. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. What is what is one thing you would want our listener to hear you say that maybe you haven't said, or if you said there's if you know if you forget everything I said, remember this. What would it What would it be?
2: I think it would just be that you're worthy of love. Hmm.
1: You you told me something at lunch one day that your your the uh, kind of a paradigm shift for you was sin is not
2: a uh, a failure to be mistake punched. to be judged, but a disease to be healed. I really love that. I just think. For many years, for me growing up in faith, I had a God that was distant, far and removed and was really judgmental. And I was afraid of the judgment of God. Yeah. And yeah. I saw God through a courtroom judge, you know, uh, guilty. And here's the punishment. Yeah. When, when I begin to read scripture and see a different perspective, I saw God not as a judge, but as a doctor, like the great physician. And as I saw, sin is not a mistake to be punished, but a disease to be healed. Yeah. So, therefore, I would welcome the judgment of God because God's judgment was therapeutic. It was saying, you got cancer, you got a bad valve in your heart, I'm going after it to repair you. Yeah, for sure. So, the judgment was for my well-being, and I didn't have to be afraid of that. So, now I would actually welcome whatever this God would bring to me because the essence of the divine, John's tells us that God is love. This is the essence of, of God's character, Father, Son, and Spirit they have nothing but our best interest. So just to see yourself the way they see you and they fully anticipated your trauma and your pain and your failure and know there are people and resources today that are willing to help you. And the best gift you give to society, to yourself, to your family, is that you're worthy of getting help. And when you do it can just change the whole trajectory of your life and the life of others.
1: When you imagine your life without that 1,000-pound weight of shame that you've been carrying around, it's it's worth all the risk it takes to get healthy. Well, Rodney, man, thank you so much for being a part of this episode with us. We are really, really grateful. We want to encourage all of you to, uh, to process this information. Uh, Rodney, thank you for being uh, on the episode with us. I am truly, truly grateful for you and for your friendship and for this ministry that you have. Uh, it is a great gift to the body of Christ. So, thank you, my friend.
2: Thanks, Jim. Keep us in your prayers, and uh, uh, you know it's a great cause to support the, these little ministry, these ministries that are helping the world in a lot of different ways that are really part of the church.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure, absolutely. All right, thank you, Rodney, so much.
2: Thank you, guys.
1: So, John, here's what we'll do. We'll uh, take our commercial break. We're going to skip show and tell. It just feels a little bit uh, weird to do a show and tell after a conversation like that. Yeah, like what would you, you know, that would be a pretty <laughs> a pretty intimate object. And so uh, uh, let's do our commercial break. And then John and I are going to come back and give you our final takeaways from this conversation and call it a day. So we'll be right back. Awesome.
3: Upstream is supported by the faithful members of the Upstream team, listeners who give monthly through Patreon. This podcast is just one part of the Jim and John ministry. They also write weekly blogs, have published their first book, and are currently at work on more. Their desire is to produce transformational content as well as offer encouragement and coaching to others. The dream is to see a movement of people who are integrating the work of Jesus into their daily lives, and who are joining Him on His mission to redeem and restore all things. Check out their website at jimandjohn.com, where you can learn more about the Father-Son Duo and gain access to all they have to offer. If you would like to join the Upstream team, consider partnering with Jim and John on patreon.com slash jimandjohn. A link is also available on the homepage of their website. And remember, there's no H in John. Now let's join Jim and John for the home stretch of today's conversation.
1: Welcome back, and we are so grateful for you listening. Passing this episode on to a friend. Let me just say, this is a really important conversation. So if you have friends that uh, that you think could benefit from this episode, pass it on to them, and uh, we'd be grateful for that. John, give me your big takeaway from this conversation, then I'll give you mine, and we'll we'll wrap this up. What what, what was your biggest takeaway from this, really? <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was you know it went a lot of places. It did. Uh, first
0: off, I'm I'm very grateful for uh Rodney, and I think the the need is so uh great with these issues that it can feel um helpless or inevitable. Um, which I mean, most mission fields can feel that way because we know we're in a fallen world. We're not gonna we're not going to eliminate sin or hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm just really grateful not only that uh, we have access to Rodney as a resource, but that him and his wife are uh, are really, really, you know, uh, in this problem. They've chosen right. this problem. Um, but a big takeaway from Rodney's actual content here, which I think was great, uh, was kind of the self-awareness of the workings of yourself mm. and how without that, in ignorance of your actions or your motivations, you're really, uh, really, really hopeless. Like, there's there's nothing you can do there. When you have no... It's like a battle and you have no intelligence. It's really a lose-lose situation. So things about um you know why am i mad all the time mm-hmm. uh what events um precede my um unwanted sexual behaviors like what like when i'm when i'm stressed you know uh um overwhelmed things like that and uh, the resources that can teach you those things uh, that's probably the big big takeaway for me is if someone if you're in that situation the ignorance of your inner workings Um, is really an enemy is yeah it's it's you've lost before you started if you don't have that
1: and the power of even just observing and this is one of the reasons i've journaled for so long Mm. because i would make notes in my journal and some of them are in code because i don't want anybody (laughs) to know what i'm talking about but yeah just noting uh patterns of my unwanted attitudes behaviors temptations and noticing that there was sometimes a calendar rhythm to them, sometimes oh, there sometimes there was a contextual pattern, and uh, this becomes a huge asset in overcoming. Sure. Do you have a takeaway? I do. I think I think mine is that uh, you know you mentioned how overwhelming this can feel, and can we really make a dent in this problem? It's so big, so universal, and there aren't enough Rodney and Tracy Wrights in the world to cover the earth. So. Yeah. My takeaway is that um, each of us have, we talk about Oikos all the time. We have these people whom God has strategically and supernaturally placed in your life. They're on the front row. They've got a great view of your life. And if we can be people who pursue health ourselves, I think that's huge, and then offer a safe place for our friends and family to process their pain, talk about their struggles, and to be a place where there is no shame. And I love that we would view sin as a disease to be healed um, and be people who are therapists in that way. I think that's the greatest thing we can do for the world is be healthy people who love uh, and accept people as they process their pain. I think that that's one way we could change the world together. That's awesome. I love it. All right. Well, hey, thanks for listening. And, uh, you can, you can, uh, check out our website, Jim and com No H in the John. We have a blogs We're we've been pretty faithful posting blogs, uh, every Tuesday and Thursday. And, uh, man, we'd love to hear listener feedback. If you have episodes, you want us to cover topics you want to cover. If you have questions you'd like us to answer. Yeah, you can
0: reach us through uh, a private message on Instagram at Jim and John or uh, uh, john.com. There's a comment form there where you can sign up for our newsletter uh, or uh, email at info at JimandJohn.com. There you go. Hey, thanks for listening. Have a
1: wonderful day.